Ladies and gentlemen, this picture contains scenes which under no circumstance should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. Welcome back to Caustic Content, the podcast where two dear friends torture each other and themselves by trying to find the absolute worst thing streaming on the internet. And by the internet, we mostly mean Amazon Prime because that's where all this shit ends up. Myros, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, Steve. I'm in a chipper mood thanks to one of these movies. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. You are This movie, it's turned you to a complete masochist. Apparently, I'm, I'm the Marquis de Sade here, and I'm just slapping you around with this horrible shit. You're like, Daddy, give me more. Could be. <laughs> Uh, oh God. Yeah. So I, I guess we'll just jump right into it. We, uh, it's been a little bit since the last episode, but, uh, for this one, we decided to pit a traditional kind of low budget, trashy horror comedy against, uh, some ostensibly highbrow art film. And this, this kind of setup has, has gone really well for me in the past, but I think I might be in trouble this week based on my initial conversations with you. But before we get to that, let's let's talk about this horror comedy, whatever the fuck it is. Your movie that you chose for this episode is Terror at Bloodfart Lake. Is that that's that's the right name, right? I'm I'm, I'm actually getting it. Yeah, Terror at Bloodfart uh, Lake. Well, okay. I'll let you say the name. Not to be confused <laughs> not, not to be confused with Return to Bloodfart Lake, which is a totally different thing. A, a okay, so very different film. Uh, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure you probably initially chose this just because of the uh, incredibly well photoshopped cover and uh you know a name that really rang true to you and also didn't you you chose another like trauma inspired diarrhea movie before for another episode didn't you uh yeah yeah it worked out well it was a smash win that was the episode where we had uh, jake guest Oh yeah, Jake Trapila uh, as the guest, the and then he's <laughs> and he said he's never doing this show again because we made him watch this. What was that movie even called? It was like Mr. Diarrhea Monster. Or fuck if I know. Uh, so <laughs> Erase it from your memory. Stank, Legend of Stank Mouth. Legend of Stank Mouth, who vomited death diarrhea on his victims, as as one does. Shout out to Lloyd Kaufman with the cameo in that one. Oh, by the way, Steve, uh, we, we didn't go over the rules before we get in. We got to run them down real quick. Oh, yeah, you're right. We, it's been a while. People got to know the rules. All right, what are the rules? Uh, the rules. Uh, we have, uh, we're going to say four rules here. We, have, we can only use what the streaming service provides us, which in this instance, there was no trailer. I picked it solely on its reprehensible name. Uh, if they don't provide a trailer, you don't use a trailer. I uh, can't watch any clips, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, rule number two, no found footage. We like to keep things a little bit fresh, even though this is already the second episode uh, with this particular highbrow versus lowbrow format, I believe. And, so, <laughs> and you love your scatological movies. Yeah, a lot of scatological movies, but we can't get rid of that. I mean, that's our bread and butter. Uh, anyhow, found footage, boring. They're all the same. Uh, rule number three, Godfrey Ho Clause, which is to say you can only use one director uh, a single time. 
if you repeat the director, mm-hmm. yeah, we won't allow that. It just, uh, again, nope. there are certain directors. No return to Blood Fart Lake. We can't return. <laughs> there are certain directors who you could just keep going to that well and racking up victories, but uh, we don't want that. We got to explore some new faces. And uh, the reason for that is sometimes you find a real visionary like we did uh, this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. And last but not least, we're going to say nothing either of us have seen in the past. He's got to be fresh experiences for us and for you the listener hopefully uh that is all we have a georgia probation but uh it's been a while i think they're they're in the clear yeah we haven't seen anything terrible from georgia (laughs) lately but if something else comes up we may have to reconsider (laughs) all right terror at blood fart lake uh this is from director chris siever who uh, you're probably not aware of but let's say that maybe you are Chris Seaver is a Lloyd Kaufman disciple. Uh, I think he he kind of grew up as a fan of Lloyd's 80s work and, and just kind of trauma in general. And from what I understand, most of his movies are uh, sort of in the same vein. Obviously, scatological humor, uh, horror in a sense, but not really scary, just kind of fun and, and playing around with the tropes of, of the genre. And he has been a pretty prolific director. He hasn't made much lately, uh, but he's had pretty much like a 20-year career of just putting this stuff out. And I think one of the things that separates him from other low-budget direct-to-video filmmakers is um, he's kind of building a universe around his characters that he's created for these movies. Again, similar to Trauma with like, oh, Sergeant Kabuki Man and... Uh, Toxic Avenger and all this stuff, and they just sort of like pop up in each other's work. Um, he's done the same thing, or I guess you could say like Kevin Smith, but with the budget of like a, a non-functioning used car uh, for each movie. <laughs> so he's he's created memorable characters like Mulva, the zombie ass kicker, Teen Ape, Bone Jack, Jock DeQueef, and uh, things like that. So maybe maybe you're familiar with his work. Um, yeah, hopefully you're not. I mean, you're probably a better person <laughs> to, to have avoided that. So this movie actually I, has Teen Ape in the credits. I, I didn't notice the presence of this individual. Teen Teen Ape. I think he's in the very beginning, but not really. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. Um, but yeah, so these these characters kind of pop up here and there, and I'm guessing I haven't seen anything else by Chris Seaver, but from what I understand about him, Blood Fart Lake is very par for the course for the kind of movies that he does. So this is a movie about a group of, I, they're not teens. They're, I think they're supposed to be 20-somethings, and they are going to their friend's lake house on the titular Blood Fart Lake for a weekend of drinking and fun and merrymaking. And lo and behold, there is a killer in the woods. So pretty simple horror setup. And uh, yeah, <laughs> what Chris Seaver is doing here is basically, yeah, here's this really mundane, banal, just whatever horror canvas. And then he tries to infuse that with a lot of pop culture references and joking and characters that embody these goofy, broad stereotypes. So uh, you're, you're supposed to laugh along. And to his credit, I, I laughed a little bit. There's a few things that I laughed at. So <laughs> you've got... What, what, what's our cast of characters here, Byros? 
Ah, uh, there is. There's like two redundant characters, one of which is like a metalhead, and one of which is, I guess, not a metalhead, like a New Jersey guy. But they, you couldn't tell the two yeah. characters apart. They basically yeah, because one guy's like, oh, dude, but he's not like not like a stoner, more of like a like a, a upstate New York like metal guy, and then the other guy's just just like a Jersey bro so he's like oh spaghetti like andrew dice clay basically yeah yeah but they both dress the same and they both act essentially identically but i guess one of them is more into metal a, a bill and mm-hmm. ted mixtape of some sort yeah uh then uh, you have the uh, vulgar goth woman uh you have the incredibly horny vulgar goth woman get it uh, right sure sure you have you have the old timey actress woman which i did not see that coming that's not i mean the rest of these guys oh metalhead stoner uh goth girl uh, these these things make sense i did not see old timey actress popping up and i'm guessing this is she reminds me of people who were just like in film class all the time in high school like you know those people they're like oh they're theater kids and you don't even know if they actually go to their regular classes if they just like sit backstage all day she's got those vibes going and i'm guessing she just showed up on set and she was like hey what if i talk like this what if it was the 1930s uh what if you didn't that'd be good but Myros, wouldn't that be the cat's p- pajamas? <laughs> it, it, that character drags this thing right down in the mud, I, I gotta say. Uh, <laughs> not that it was ever aspiring to be much much higher than that. But the, who else? Oh yeah, you've got your you've got your nostalgia critic and uh <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy you think looks like doug what's his face from the nostalgia critic who is just his job is i am the average joe like normal baseline vanilla character that you're supposed to root for right except he's not the protagonist of the movie he's just kind of around <laughs> yeah he's just kind of there he doesn't really step into that role uh also interestingly enough in the movie itself he plays a character who's like, oh, I'm a guy named Mike or something, and I own a T-shirt company and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why does that... Something about this seems familiar. So I looked him up. He's the guy who runs Fright Rags, which is a T-shirt company that does both licensed and unlicensed stuff, but they've done like licensed shirts for like the Halloween series and Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, a bunch of DreamWorks properties. And yeah, like this is... I mean, I don't think you could be famous in the I make niche t-shirts category, but you probably get served up Instagram ads for this guy if you watch a lot of horror movies. So he's a he's a real person doing real things in real life, and his character is basically the same. Well, I uh, I would say he may be a real person, but he's certainly not a real actor, because Jesus Christ, is he fucking awful. Yeah. This. He's, he, he is, this is definitely, I'm glad he's making t-shirts. His graphic design work is incredible. Acting chops, not really. Yeah, don't there. don't quit your day job, my friend. Uh, I don't. I don't think he has. I think. I mean, this was made in what two thousand nine. He's he's doing quite well for himself good, right now. Good, good, for him. As long as I don't have to watch another movie starring him, we're we're in good shape. <laughs> uh, I yeah. assumed he was the director, Chris Seaver, who is actually not acting in this movie, which seems totally out of character for this sort of thing. Usually, uh, there's a director insert at the uh, erstwhile protagonist role. <laughs> But mm-hmm, not in mm-hmm. this instance. Uh, so who else? We also have 
Uh, that that's really the core of the people who are headed to the cabin. But we also have yeah, that's that's the core. There's the hillbilly guy. What is his name? Uh, Leo De Champa, who is uh, another yeah, recurring Leo. character in this Chris Seaver verse. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's just like a a, a redneck uh, again, horny guy. And then there is a woman who who they meet at the we, cabin. The the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, the girl next door, right, right. Um, which is kind of. <laughs> It's kind of fun because the, the way that they tr- she's she's an incredibly normal looking woman like she <laughs> normally it's like girl next door it's just like va va voom look at that whoa you know and this is like they react that way but she's just like totally just normal just fine just <laughs> she exists and she doesn't really have much of a personality other than she's walking around and everybody wants to bone her for some reason I don't understand that but sure that's great just go with it well it's, this film uh, really promotes. Uh, positive body image. Uh, yeah, positive body image. Everybody wants to fuck in this movie, and uh, no one fi- it could be filed under conventionally attractive by Hollywood standards. So I guess there's still like three more characters. We've got th- they are going to the cabin of a man named Hambone, who is only in yeah. the first scene of the film uh, before being dispatched. Uh, and thank God, because he he was up there on the annoyance scale with the uh, the old timey actress. Yeah. But then he's got his like Igor guy who is Caspian, right? Caspian, who is yes. just yeah, and he is kind of a over the top eccentric man with an afro. That that's kind of his thing that he's got. Yeah, going. I don't know if he's meant funny to be roommates with Hambone or if he's just an interloper who has in fact orchestrated his murder and taken over his house yeah. after the fact. Yeah, it's it's hard. There's a lot. There's a lot of depth here. Uh, it, well, it's funny too because with Caspian, Caspian is far and away the best character in the movie, and he elicits the most laughs. But also, as a character, he's the least defined. Like he's, it's just like, oh, it's just a weird guy <laughs> with a weird haircut or wig, and that's it. Sure, sure. And then the only other character of note is uh, Caspian's. Sister, we come to find out, uh, credited yeah. here as Thunder Ambrosia, Thunder Ambrosia uh, who is some sort of a uh, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type, if you will. Um, sure, sure, and probably the only person who got paid to do this movie. Yeah, she seems to have like a, a moderate career in trash cinema, but uh, she's not like a a big deal. But she's she's working. <laughs> yeah. Also, one thing I, I want to say that I absolutely love her about the Thunder Ambrosia character is um, she's I mean, she's on the cover. And if you're going to say, oh, there's you know, there's a person in this movie who falls into that conventionally Hollywood attractive uh, kind of mold. It's definitely her. And she's clearly the only person who I wouldn't call her a great actress, but you could tell she's done some things before. And uh, at, at one point she has to like. I don't, she like has to bang the hillbilly or, or like suck the hillbilly's dick to gain his powers. Sure. I think sure. something like that as one yeah, does, yeah. you know, that's, that's how I get through the day. Uh, and when this is going down, there's a scene where she, she's got this, like, she's wearing this like crop top thing that like buttons down the middle and she like unbuttons it and rips it off. But then they just put this like, starlight effect on her boobs it, <laughs> because clearly Chris Seaver when he paid her she was just like my daily rate is like $300 but if you want my boobs it's 500 <laughs> so it's just like well we're gonna work around that 
Uh, <laughs> it was a rather insane choice, but yeah. I that that was that was another thing where I mean, again, there's a couple times where I laughed out loud during this movie, and that was one of them where I was just laughing uncontrollably, just because it in the context of the film, it makes zero sense why her uh, her breasts become illuminated orbs. <laughs> What she reveals them. No, no. And it's just, it's ridiculous. There's a lot about that character that, that makes little to no sense. In, in fact, it is, when she enters the, the main thrust of the film is when it really goes completely to hell. Like, uh, there's, this is a short movie. We, we treated ourselves to some really brief, I don't think either movie topped 80 minutes, but, uh, no, no, yeah, that, that's for the best, but this mm-hmm. for about 40 minutes, it's fine. Yeah. I would say, yeah. And until it gets into the third act, it, it kind of loses itself. Cause, uh, the whole thing is the, the 20 something group of friends is at this cabin and they're kind of being dispatched by this monster one by one. Uh, but then we see, Thunder Ambrosia trying to make her way to the cabin to stop the demon at Bloodfart Lake and this and that and the other thing. And you kind of wonder where it's going. And really, there's her character is totally like there's no reason for her to exist in this movie other than I think they wanted some sort of titillation from her or just wanted to include her in some meaningful way. But the fact that she just wasn't already a character in their friend group it's kind of odd that she has to like show up and then just be the savior of, of everyone. It's, it's really weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I, I mean this like pre it being a slasher, like when, it, when they were just dealing with Caspian and Leo de Trappa, who are by the way, played by the same person who really shoulders the load here. This Josh oh, Squire yeah. guy is yeah. All the comedic heavy lifting. Yeah. It's it's all him. Like anytime I, other than the, the glow boobs, which I guess he was part of that scene too. Anything that's funny in this movie, it's it's from Leo or uh, Caspian. That's it. So shout out to Josh Swire or Sweary or however you say your name. You, great job, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Th- I mean, this movie it doesn't have a credited script. The writer is only credited for a story idea. So it. it I'm gu- I'm guessing they weren't improving this whole thing because not everyone's mind is immediately going to the scatological in quite the sense that that this improv troupe would be. But uh, so I- I'm assuming there were jokes written, but there's also a-, a good deal of improvisation in this film. And yeah, they're fortunate that this Josh Swire fellow is he's a very good improviser. Like he. You know, maybe you should have moved to L.A. instead of hanging out with Chris Seward. Uh, In upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, he's he's good yeah. and he's funny and he mm. pulls off a lot of these lines that shouldn't work at all. Oh, yeah. And now there's there's a bunch of stuff like there's a part where he just finds like a weird Al tape or something. And uh, I, I laugh pretty hard <laughs> at that. Uh, there's another part where like apropos of almost nothing at all he just is like the only good thing out of canada is toblerone and then it's just it just goes from that to just directly into something else like it's a complete non sequitur <laughs> and i i laughed incredibly hard at that yeah. so, so there's like a half yeah, hour of this stuff. film that's like he is shouldering things and then it starts to become a more traditional slasher parody and all the stuff with the the jokey murders it was pretty rough and then, uh, yeah, yeah, 
old Ambrosia shows up to town and goes on and on about like weasels and her asshole or something. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, okay. So the blood fired person, it turns out, spoiler alert, it's, it's actually Caspian is, well, he's, he's orchestrating this because the killer is, it's like a golem of some sort. Yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) really Chris Seaver inspired by Russian folklore. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah. So, He's controlling this thing, and the way it goes about killing, like, the goth girl, he, like, sticks a, because she's a, a larger woman, and he sticks, like, a, a tube into her, like a like a liposuction tube, and sucks out the fat from her, then sticks it in her mouth, and then she's barfing tapioca pudding. And it's, it's just kind of, it's, this is the trauma lineage. You can kind of see it here, where it's, it's gory, but not in a, a way where you're like, oh, it's just kind of like gross out, like silly stuff. Right. You have to have a, yeah. a strong tolerance for that bullshit. Like I can't, I can't watch like three separate murders of like someone being killed by a corn cob getting jammed up their ass, followed by a punchline about cornholing. Like no, no, yeah, that's <laughs> not not great, not great. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of moves methodically through this, and and the movie is. The kills happen to sort of push the plot along, but really Seaver, his his thin, thing seems to be getting these people to improv, but also like just writing these kind of like back and forth dialogue things. This is where the Kevin Smith stuff comes in. Uh, the movie feels very conversational, and most of the time it's not working, but when it does, it's good. Like he, there's something here, and it also feels very genuine like it just seems like a bunch of people enjoying themselves and having fun and yeah it's goofy but whatever there's there's something very sincere about this project and a lot of the the pop culture stuff it's not overdone to the point where it's like wink wink nudge nudge i am a nerd and i am saying nerd things that you will recognize you know uh it's not a Ready Player One situation where it's like, hey, you know the things you like? Here they all are. Let me talk about them. Like, it's not anything like that. It's It feels more natural. It seems like conversations that you know people would actually have. It's hit and miss. Uh, I remember one of the bigger like pop culture set pieces. I, don't, I saw this a couple days ago, and of course, it's not the sort of thing that lingers in the mind. But uh, I know when uh, Doug Walker was having a... Uh, his meet cute with the girl next door in the lake. They were having some long fucking pop culture conversation that for me, it was just like, Oh God, this dialogue. Yeah. It's yeah. That, that kind of, that was a little bit much that drag. I was saying again, it's, it's the stuff that's led by Caspian just because I think he has a better grasp of comedic timing and what a scene needs to be efficient and funny but just move on from it like his whole thing where he's just like oh let's watch all the earnest movies and then he just talks about the earnest movies for like 10 seconds see and then but then he immediately like pivots just like yeah let's not do yeah no that was (laughs) that was strong stuff that's a good pop culture reference for me like it was brief enough and it was just like kind of off the wall enough that it really it worked and again it is it is him Uh, there's maybe I guess both of the the lunks are fine at selling the shit they're handed, and uh, the goth girl is fine at hand, handling what she's given, although she's given some rough fucking stuff at, at times. But, oh, yeah. Her stuff is yeah, it's real bad. But, <laughs> yeah, then there's other people in the cast who 
yeah, your girl next door, well, your, her- your t-shirt maven, and your, uh, well, those two are the worst, I think, but anytime they have Yeah, just because they don't, they don't have anything. They're just, right. I mean, their whole purpose is to be vanilla, because they're, you know. And old Hollywood, old Hollywood, all, uh, she was making choices. She, and the thing with old Hollywood, she, yeah, she was making choices. It's, she doesn't even, like. She's not committed to it. Like, she's committed to the silly voice, but it's like someone told her about movies from the 1930s and 40s, but she didn't watch it. Like, there's there's no there's no deeper understanding of, like, why she's doing this silly voice other than I know that actresses at one point in time kind of sounded like a less exaggerated version of what I'm doing, and that's about it. Yeah, that's about so it. It doesn't. It, it feels like she didn't do her homework, which you know that's what what could be expected. Uh, and again, it's entirely possible she just showed up. It was just like, "What am I doing?" Chris Sievers like, "You're gonna do this voice." She was like, "Okay." <laughs> uh yeah, it, yeah. Again, this is for me like it's not as bad as I as it could have been. I honestly think it's it's superior to a lot of <laughs> trauma films, but it's also. Mm-hmm. That's a low bar for me. I have zero tolerance for trauma shit. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. It's it's definitively a movie that is not for me. But it's yeah, it's it. That, and that's the thing. It's like I, this isn't this is not my shit. This is not the kind of thing that I would I would normally get into. But considering again, it is clearly a movie that was made for zero dollars, and. It just, it has, we've watched plenty of these for the show and just kind of otherwise in general, but a lot of them, they feel either cynical or overzealous in a way that is not endearing. And this is, this is none of that. It just, it knows what it is. It knows it's not Shakespeare. Okay. You know? And it just it it does it. it. That's I mean, that's the thing. It's like if if this is your shit, if you really like trauma movies, then you'll you probably have a soft spot for certain Chris Seaver movies. Um, but that's not for me. But I, I do appreciate that it's not what it could be. I I would honestly I'd rather watch this over a lot of trauma stuff that I've seen. A lot of Lloyd Kaufman, a lot of Lloyd Kaufman stuff that I've seen. I would take this over a lot of Kevin Smith movies, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, it's better like, than Yoga Hosers. <laughs> yeah, way better than fucking Yoga Hosers. I'll take this over Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Like, it's, you know, but it, it still kind of fits in that in that realm. So, I, I don't know. Not great, not horrible. The one thing that is horrible is it ends with this, uh, it's not really a deus ex machida, it's like a deus ex, I'm going to put you in my butt, uh, ending <laughs> but <laughs> thunder ambrosia shows up and the way they choose to kill off the monster is there's like a scuffle in the backyard with the monster and thunder ambrosia reveals that like she's been breeding weasels inside of her anal cavity and that the only way that she could defeat the demon is by putting him into her butthole where the weasels will eat him so we are treated to that. And that's pretty much it. And then it just ends. Like, literally, they shove him in her ass, and then that, that's it. That's all we yeah. get. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is it. That, that, that's where I'm uh, checking out for. <laughs> I'm just like, well, 
this is where we're headed, huh? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, again, that's just the sort of thing that you, there's no one on earth who could write that sort of thing into a scene that I will enjoy watching. It's just like, no, who, who's this for? Yeah. Fucking eight year olds. Like I don't, I don't get it. Uh, there's parts of this movie that are surprisingly funny. And there's parts of this movie that are thuddingly fucking dreadful. And the last 15 to 20 minutes is, is there definitely in the latter category. It's just like, yeah, can we give this script like another pass? Maybe, maybe give someone a writing credit instead of just running with the story idea. Cause if, if where we got from that was, uh, like a wizard fucking made magic weasels into my anus and uh, no, no, that's not going to do. <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> we could do better. Yeah, we All did. Right. Well, we yeah, did a lot better. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that because there's some serious disagreement here. So, Myros, you, you gave me Terror at Blood Fart Lake, which, uh, is it an atrocity or a curiosity? I, for me, it's it's a, it's a curiosity, I would say. It's it's fine. It's Like you said, it's, it's what I expected it to be at many times, but also, like, strangely watchable and occasionally funny. So this is, this is something for someone, even if that someone isn't me and I can, I can respect it on a certain level. And it really is. It's, it's genuine and it's sincere and that makes it completely respectable in my eyes. You know, I'm not going to disagree with you. I don't think it's really either. I'm not curious about it, uh, nor do I think it's, it's some abomination, but uh, if I had to choose, I'm going to give it a curiosity just, uh, just for old Mr. Swire. Uh, you know, that, uh, he was he was a bit of a revelation. It's like some lost kids <laughs> in the hall cast member or something. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, it looks like he's he's still working and he's still doing stuff. So uh, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll have to dig deeper into his uh, <laughs> filmography. <laughs> well, good luck finding much of it that doesn't involve uh, Chris Seaver, probably. That's true. Well, it looks like he did something called. I, I'm looking at some of this to try to compare Chris Seaver to his his acting. And it looks like said Seaver hasn't done much in the last five years. Uh, he's done some things. He did a movie called Evil Night. He did something called Stoinky Beach. Uh, we'll pass on that one. <laughs> yeah, he he did something called The Weirdsies, and he did something called Paranormal Investigation Agency. Uh, I, I will say he did a movie called. Uh, mutants, Nazis, and Zombies, mm-hmm. which I believe is a Chris Seaver joint uh, in some capacity. Or it's like Teen Ape versus the Monster Nazi Apocalypse. Oh, that's geez. I think that's the alternate Boy. title. Uh, but yeah, he plays Hitler in that. So I guess that could be considered like Chris Seaver's Jojo Rabbit, right? Could be. Could be. Also, it seems to be one of the last movies Chris Seaver did. So I guess you could say it's his downfall. <laughs> Thank you. Insert rim shot. He was canceled. Uh, That's what happened to Chris Seaver. Uh, Chris Seaver was canceled. Yeah, I, I actually, I read an interview and he, he was, he, I think he was canceled by his wife and small child for not being able to make money doing what he was doing. Well, so fair enough. A different kind of canceled. <laughs> Although one, one would assume that, you know, uh, filthy McNastier colon apocalypse fuck maybe doesn't play as well in 2019 as it did 10 years ago. I would say... It probably didn't play that well ten years ago, honestly. But 
I guess that is this guy's claim to fame. Although, has anyone ever actually seen Filthy McNasty? It's just one of those movies you're aware of. <laughs> I don't know. I well, and that's the other thing too. When I was kind of looking into him, it seems like if if you're going to watch a Chris Seaver movie, that seems to be there. There was like a. I think he released Teen Ape. Maybe it's Teen Ape Goes to Camp. Maybe that was what it was called. I can't remember. Maybe it's just Teen Ape. But the Ape movie and Filthy McNasty were like his two big breakthroughs. And most people cite those the best. And Filthy McNasty is apparently numero uno, which is impressive because they're like, yeah, it's shot in like a one room apartment, but it's really funny and good. It's like, I, I don't know if I trust him with <laughs> we're limiting his resources even further. <laughs> but hey, maybe one day I'll give it a shot. We'll see. Uh, I will not, but uh, you are welcome to. We're not gonna. You know, if you if you drink enough, anything is possible. We shan't trash this movie too bad. It's it's uh it's fine. Yeah, that's fine. It's totally fine. All right. Well, I went a different direction. I've been trying to hunt down some pretentious, highbrow art films, and uh, I thought I found one. I, I don't know what I found. I'm still trying to figure this one out. Well, I was um, interested by your description. You kept citing David Lynch when I was going into watching, and I'm like, I don't see this at all. I think, well, okay, let me explain what this is called. This movie is called The Omnipotence of Dreams. And I think when I, when I first mentioned Lynch to you, it was because the whole like first 15 minutes of the, this movie, which are fucking insufferable, uh, they take place in this bar where these two like business guys and some bar fly are having this like weird circular conversation. That's absolutely grating. Uh, and then it goes in a totally different direction. And then it goes in another direction. Then it goes in another direction. So David Lynch may have been some baseline inspiration, but really what the omnipotence of dreams is, is amazing. What if Forrest Gump was a PS one cutscene? From a JRPG. That's the only thing that I can think of to describe this movie. It is... Uh, well, it's First of all, it is thuddingly boring and in, in ways that I did not think were humanly possible. But it falls into a strange category of, of movies which from here on we will either call JRPG PS1 era cutscenes or just graphic design is my passion, the movie. <laughs> wherein... Filmmakers have decided that, and not necessarily for camp purposes, but just for funsies or because they think this is the right way to tell their story, they have chosen to use antiquated CGI uh, as like a background. Yeah, they're fucking and then straight up. Overlaid that with like live performances. So it's like Sin City, but from 1991. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're generous with PS1. This is like some straight up like Windows 3.1 bullshit. But this is some bad bullshit. It looks it looks like I, I yeah, like a fucking Atari Jaguar made this movie. A sentient Atari Jaguar created yeah, this I, film. That is that is it. This is somehow the second film you you've chosen in this venture that looks like this. Uh first we had watched the amazing I didn't know. Bulk. I didn't know <laughs> And this is this is different from the Amazing Bulk because the Amazing Bulk also shit, but it when it uses this ridiculous green screen stuff, it's almost like it's it's kind of riffing a little bit on the CGI heavy Marvel movies because I mean 
really Marvel movies are, are a big budget version of what we're seeing in Omnipotence of Dreams and Incredible Bulk. Like when you see Tony Stark walk into Avengers headquarters, like that's not there. 90% of that movie is done in front of a green screen and they just have a gazillion dollars. So if you don't have a gazillion dollars, if you have like maybe a dollar or you borrowed $5 from a friend and you have like an Apple II computer, how do you, how do you make a movie like the Avengers? And Bulk was conscious of this and it tried to be funny. Now it wasn't funny. I I disagree. (laughs) It was, it was funny in ways that I don't think it was trying to be. But the thing is with Bulk is, yeah, it has these horrible like Atari Jaguar 3D render graphics and it would just loop its footage constantly and it was just maddening. But there was some sort of intention there. With Omnipotence of Dreams, I, I sincerely believe the filmmaker thinks this looks good, which is insane to me because uh, it's it's I think it's a serious movie. This is a serious movie, right? I think it's kind of a I I don't know what this is. I, I want to say it's like more of a, a, a young adult, like geared towards a younger audience. But oh, one of those YA movies that stars uh, two middle-aged men <laughs> and a drunk grandpa. Well, it reminds me. Like, I don't the think tone, this is a YA the movie. The tone that he's striving for reminds me almost of something like. Danny DeVito or something like uh, Matilda or something of that nature. A dark fairy tale. <laughs> Some Guillermo del Toro uh, territory. I like how also we're describing this movie, which is utter shit and made for a dollar. But all we've been able to compare it to is very high budget. <laughs> things. <laughs> um, Anyone who's listening to this is like, whoa, David Lynch, but the Avengers, uh, Danny DeVito, Guillermo del Toro. Like, we're just giving nerds boners right now. We're just going to ruin people's lives. Uh, no, we will enrich their lives when they watch this film and fucking bask in the joy that is whatever the fuck is happening. <laughs> Sometimes I ask myself, who is this movie for? And. The answer is is usually something I can come up because you know if if I can't connect with someone I I or something I try to think of it in terms of like like what is this what is this like going for and I truly believe that this movie was made for the director and you and that's uh, it that's fine but I can't think of anyone else entirely possible who would enjoy entirely this. possible I I I am trying to figure out what the fuck the reasoning behind some of this stuff is like I could see why they're doing this aggressive compositing maybe for the story portion of the film, right? So mm-hmm. sure. Cause it's again, if, if it's going by this like dream logic, like this guy is like retelling his life story or whatever, then maybe then it makes sense to use this ridiculous, almost abstract low res CGI stuff. Now we're giving him too much credit, yeah. but the stuff that's like, this is the real world. It's like, why, why couldn't you just go to a, bar and just shoot but it the thing is he did like the the old man murphy uh he's not he's not composited and he's sitting in front of a wall drinking beer yeah there is there is a bar here there's a bar that was covered in green curtains so they could green screen the whole thing later yeah and the two people who are in the bar with him are not in physical reality at all. They're just like fucking slapped into mist or something. Like it just, it's insane. And the camera yeah. is like constant. It's got to be post production. I can't imagine he even had. He was probably just had a camera on a tripod, but you wouldn't know it because mm-hmm. 
Like, it's just fucking zooming all over town on these two guys having their mammoth conversation about fucking nothing. I make a lot of money, but the wife sure is trouble at home. And uh, oh, God, this, the fucking dialogue in the first 15 to 20 minutes of this is the most mind numbing shit. And it's just it, it absolutely reeks of uh, I, I went to film school and got a C minus like that. It's just <laughs> this is every student film I've seen that I don't want to see. Yeah. And <laughs> that's the first 15 minutes of this. And so he's trying to composite them into this bizarre fucking CG green screen nonsense but again like their heads are just kind of like floating in and out of the background left and right and again it's just such a strange thing because i would guess these are all filmed on one location but Mm -hmm. you wouldn't know it because again the guy the main character is in physical reality and the other two are in this digital wonderland and the audio is also an issue because their audio is fine and his audio is fine like 90% of the time. But then randomly when he's telling his stories, all of a sudden it'll just go like, <laughs> I'm like, what What did the, like the battery go out on the fucking mic or something? Like, <laughs> like what, what's happened? It's And all the stuff in this bar, migraine inducing. all the stuff in this bar that he chooses to composite is insane. Like, just this fucking shit with the fly? Holy fucking God, man. It, well, exp- explain this, because you got to paint a picture for people, because I don't think anybody's going to watch this. What? Explain the fly, explain the ceiling fan, all the things that he chooses to focus on here, because graphic design is his passion. Again, you could listen to our bulk episode to an extent, but I'm sure a lot of these are just assets you go and buy online. Like, there's no way he's rendering these clocks and fans and blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, they got to be a pain in the ass to cut in. But yeah, it, all of a sudden it'll cut to some strange shot of a, a 1992 digital ceiling fan spinning around. Or it literally takes, in the middle of this uh, shit-ass David Mamet dialogue between these two guys, it'll just it just cuts to a piece of shit fucking, like, uh, the general insurance uh, level fucking fly buzzing around the bar and it, it just smacks into a, a digital glass and makes like a loud, ridiculous noise. And it's just it doesn't have anything to do with the scene. It uh, is nothing but distracting and destructive to whatever the fuck he's trying to accomplish. And uh, I I have no idea. It's supposed to be like atmospheric is it supposed to be like oh the the fly represents death it's like n- no it represents brain death <laughs> <laughs> okay well uh, for the listeners t- tell me what this movie's about it is what, what's the, what's the story it is here? very much that sort of gump thing where it it is two businessmen uh stop off at a bar, Murphy's Bar, and they strike up a conversation. Uh, well, at first they have a long uh, dialogue about, again, business, business things, much business, and uh, how the wives are really a burden on their lives. But uh, 
old Murphy, who is a, uh, again, another character I assume was a director analog. I, I just assume that must have been James Travers, but in fact, it is not. Uh, he's just a, a guy, looks something like a prospector or something. He's just, he has not had a, a shower in about a month. His face is coated in a thick grease, uh, which we linger on intently for many minutes. And he, he interrupts their conversation and starts telling the tale of his life. Uh, he claims to be the man who Murphy's Law is named after, because whatever can go wrong will. And so he, he <laughs> tells a tale about uh, all the people in his life who have died. Uh, it turns out the movie's actually about uh, what is described by Murphy as the Banshee. Yeah, because you can't say Banshee. It's the Banshee. The Banshee. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't understand the conclusion, frankly. Uh, it's too smart for me. Uh, was he like, he was just, was he trying to teach these two businessmen to appreciate what they have by fooling them into thinking they were going to die or something? I don't know. But anyway, hard to say. It's just a series of vignettes about this guy's life after that, and they are all ridiculous. Uh, You might ask why I enjoyed this movie, and then I could just point you to one scene, which should be on YouTube. I'm sure it's not because no one on earth has seen this, but it needs to be. I'm going to make it my mission to put it there where uh, (laughs) he. That's how this podcast is going to take <laughs> off. We'll just start a caustic content channel where we put scenes completely out of context from the movies we've watched on YouTube. This scene is it's a masterpiece. It's an all-time classic. He's talking about how he had a happy life uh, as a child, and, and then the Great Depression struck, and his father was a broker who lost it all. And then, he, so in a stereotypical fashion, he ends up killing himself by jumping off a building but in less stereotypical fashion he is a man's face just impossibly strangely painted onto this shambling digital artifact that is like the way the thing is moving it's like got this long trail and it's it's going so slowly shuffling through this digital room and it's just like what in the fuck is happening like I, I was losing my goddamn mind watching this, and then he <laughs> leaps to his death, and of course it all looks like a, a ridiculous computer game. Uh, it smashes into the ground, and then uh, digital blood spatters over a uh, actual physical lollipop that a real uh, girl is is holding in front of. <laughs> and it does yeah, he can't composite it at all so the blood is just like jostling around on the on the fucking lollipop <laughs> it just it's it's incredible there's nothing in the I, there's I will, nothing I will, in blood fart lake that could possibly compete with a scene like that that in and of itself is enough no. for for victory i'd say <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it is pretty impressive but then in typical fashion with this movie, it has that moment, but then there's everything else that it does. It's like, why are you doing this? So like literally right after that scene, I had to take a break because the next five minutes are just like a wall of text being read to us. Like on screen, there's just like, there's just words (laughs) and he's just reading them to us. 
Why? Why is that your movie? I, I don't know. How do you? How do you? You go from this like big moment of suicide just down to that. Like what the? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. It's it's like the pacing, the tone, everything about this. There's, it's absolute chaos. I have never seen a movie with more chaotic energy driving it. It is completely just off the fucking rails. And then, God. So, there's that segment, and then there's like this orphanage segment that is just, it's it's basically Looney Tunes. Like, it's like, oh, a building blows up because it was built on the Acme Dynamite Factory and all this other shit. Yeah, yeah. And then also, well, his mother is killed because a birthday candle falls off and explodes something. His whole life is a Looney Tune, thanks to the Banshee. Yeah, Yeah, the Banshee gets the damn Banshee. Again, every every time something like this happens, though, it, it may be asinine. It may make no sense in the context of the movie, but it, it looks so fucking stupid that I love it. I, when that birthday candle falls off this cake and, and neither of these things exist in any form of reality and they're not like tangibly touching each other and they just like. Uh, it's just madness what happens and then this is the first of two buildings to uh become engulfed in in flame uh because a birthday candle falls in kerosene or some shit who the fuck knows but every time uh, destruction of this nature happens just be prepared for a fucking laugh riot because something some insane choices are about to be made it's just (laughs) <laughs> uh, and then, well, and then it goes from there it goes from like that part to and then i was in the war this is more forest Not, yeah disc. this is where it gets worse i'll grant you that god and this is i really think like the wall of text sets the tone for the, the whole second half of this movie because so he goes to war and I get the beginning of this part. It's just like a, a man with a like a dollar store soldier outfit running through the snow and tripping over himself. And there's like pew pew tank lasers flying by. Well, him. That's not the beginning. The beginning is is when he falls in love. Oh yeah, he falls in love, and that's shit because there's no dialogue. They're just like looking at each other with googly eyes. Yes, and it's and it's and painful because no one can act. She, she dies because the banshee curses his bottle of champagne, which the cork kills her. Yeah, it happens, you know, <laughs> and that's that shit. And then he goes to war and, and then the tanks and then, but the, the war thing is just, it's after the opening scene where he's being chased by the tanks through the snow, he like jumps into a foxhole and for no joke, what I estimate to be three hours, but was probably more like 20 minutes, it's just all you're seeing is is poorly rendered CGI soldiers like shooting mortars at each other. And then there's just terrible shit explosions. And the only minor chuckle I got from this is there's this asset he uses where it's like an old timey army pickup truck that's driving down the road. <laughs> But it's just like swerving. Like it, it looks like if if you ever see like when kids are bumper bowling and they just throw the fucking bowling ball and it's just bouncing off the sides of where the gutter should be. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It's just pinballing down the road. It's, 
But this goes on forever. Forever. Uh, yeah, the problem with this is a lot of this is actually filmed in the a real location. The problem with this is the whole fucking thing. Well, <laughs> uh, the problem from, from my perspective is someone who's uh, just getting a, a barrel of laughs out of whatever the fuck decisions he's making is that this is like shot in the woods. It's just like man trudging through snow. I'm like, why isn't it? Why isn't it Windows 3.1 snow? <laughs> I I lost yeah. interest as soon as you said this in choose, reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that too. It's like, why? Yeah, why did he choose to do this? Did he? I although I guess with the with the technology he's been using, I don't think that like uh, textures that need to face like actual like things that aren't solid if you're walking through snow it's not solid so he probably would have a hell of a time rendering that so he chose to just go outside uh i guess that's where you lost me man that's the only thing I can think I'm, of. I'm happier when people are supposed to be walking and in fact they're just like walking in place and the digital background is moving that's that's where i want this to be at all times uh yeah. but yeah, it it loses some momentum for sure, uh, especially because it gets tonally like I don't know what the fuck it's going for. Like it loses its magical realism whimsy, and it's just like he's literally just laying under a tree, <laughs> and things are happening, and all of a sudden it starts playing like fucking Ramstein music or something to represent the Germans like finding him and. I, I don't know. And then the Banshee. It, get, it gets pretty serious. <laughs> the Banshee the shows The Banshee, uh, like, humps a tank bullet and everyone dies except for him. But he gets a... Which just rocks because it just looks like something like if Megadeth was on tour in 1992, this would be playing fucking behind them while sweating bullets played or that's something. That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very accurate. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. But... And then, and then from there, it's just like that. They just shoot back to the bar. It's just like, and now the banshee is here. Ah, yeah, but that's kind so of that's amazing because it's just like a, a fucking piece of shit asset of a, a train, like barreling toward this piece of shit CGI asset of a bar. And you're like, what is meant to be happening here? Like, is the train yeah. going to like smash into the bar? Because that'd be awesome. Dude, here comes the ghost train. It, it just doesn't. It's just like this crazy bearded guy, like leaning out of the train in a conductor outfit, like "Hello," and then the train goes away, and the businessmen leave, and the movie ends. <laughs> well, before the movie ends, I guess the uh, the CGI fly returns to fly into his cameo <laughs> necklace that he has for some reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't Oof. know. But, yeah, I, I don't, this is... But when you talk about manic energy, that finale has it in spades. I'm just like, what the fuck is <laughs> going on? I, yeah, it's, I I don't, I don't know. I, I can't even process this fucking movie. And, you know, again, we're touching on a lot of the parts that are like, oh, this is funny, but it, it really, it, we need to emphasize that the in-between parts which make up most of this movie it is just just monotony just nothingness Uh, especially the the whole second half where it's just like well i gotta make this a feature-length film so it's time for a lot of war and uh, nothing happened uh, 
I don't know. I, it never really dragged that bad for me, but that's just because, again, 73 minutes. But uh, Yeah, how bad can it be, right? I, again, I, I might describe it and say, boy, I thought it was the most hilarious thing, but I, just keep in mind, I have mental illness. Like, this is not for average Joe. <laughs> like, chances are, if you're hearing <laughs> this, you, you would put this out for 30 seconds and be like, nope. <laughs> but for me, it's a fucking joy. Yeah. This, thing, this thing is like... It's got real Neil Breen energy. Like this is this is some true fucking oh, madness. Do, do not disparage the character of Neil Breen. Neil Breen is an artist. I, I think that's that's the difference here between like a Breen who does use a lot of green screen nonsense in his movies. Uh, Breen has Breen's a real auteur, man. There is there is a consistency in his work and a vision, and that vision is stupid as hell, but it's there. And when you watch this movie, there's it's just it's utter chaos and pretension just swirling around in a cinematic fucking toilet that looks like it's it's from a gas station in Gary, Indiana and hasn't been cleaned in 50 years. Just absolute diarrhea. Uh, I think this guy is not as insane as Breen and you kind of need to be to to pull it off. But uh I also think it's not that far off. I think he's he's he's. I think this movie's got something going on. I I think there's something. Yeah. There's some madness in this thing. Well, we we talked a little bit about Chris Seaver and who he is as a director. So I'm sure you're wondering, uh, who is the director of the Omnipotence of Dreams? And the answer is a man named James Travers, who I kept calling Peter Travers on accident, which. Uh, <laughs> That'd be amazing, too. I'm the head critic from Rolling Stone, and also I made this movie. No, it's James Travers. Uh, James Travers does not have a big online footprint. Um, if you go on... the, the uh, This movie is not on Letterboxd at all. It's on IMDb, but there's not a lot there. Uh, one of the actors, the guy who plays Murphy, who's like the drunk guy telling the story, narrating, <clears throat> he's played by William Bloomfield, who has been kind of a, a, a character actor for decades so he is he's not a real person but he's someone uh so he's there but it's everybody else is they, they haven't done anything else and clearly james travers has done everything in this movie directed and, and produced it and wrote it and everything else so i tried to figure out like has he he hasn't made any other movies but what else does he do and i joked that this movie or movies like this that use this weird cgi should be called Graphic design is my passion. And it turns out that graphic design is, in fact, Mr. Travers' passion. Uh, he's got a, a, a website or a company called Travers Studio, and he does graphic design work, illustration, things of that ilk. No. Uh, but no. If, you, if, you try and, if you try and go to his website, it says website coming soon. It's just like one of those generic like GoDaddy splash pages. But I kind of dug around on one of his Facebook pages that he has, and I found out he has an alternative website uh, that is listed on, like, the banner of one of his Facebook images, which, again, a guy who does graphic design, this is not the most compelling logo or uh, <laughs> Facebook page I've ever seen. Uh, there's also, like, it, it, Omnipotence of Dreams has a Facebook page. There's, like, nothing on it. Um and then he just posted the trailer. Uh, Traverse Studio hasn't been updated since 2017, but there's no actual posts. It's just like 
here is my shit, basically. Like, oh, you updated your profile picture or something like that. The only thing that we get from there is someone posted a comment on the Traverse Studio page, and the comment just says, I'm originally from Ohio. When will the spaceship one be on the net Amazon Prime? (laughs) I don't know what that means. But anyways, you go to this alternative website that he has. So TraverseStudio.com. Doesn't doesn't work. Doesn't bring anything up. But if you go to TraversArt1, the number one, dot com, you can find out the other work that this gentleman has made. And uh, turns out he has made a uh, a children's book called Kitten and the Barn, which I tried to look it up on Amazon, and you can you can search for it on Amazon, but it's out of stock uh. and listed as currently unavailable. So we will not be able to access Jesus the Christ. children's Why book. Is it unfortunately, look like such a horror. Well, and that's the other thing. It's kind of terrifying. And I was like, what does this look like? It looks like, um, and this this fits with his aesthetic. It looks like like VGA graphics from uh, like a like a kids point and click adventure game from like the the late eighties or the or the early nineties. Like it looks like fucking like King's Quest Five or something. <laughs> it's just, it's it's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. And then he's also done. It looks like some like textbooks. Uh, something like that so sure that's fine and then there's something else that he's done it's some like more magical realism stuff that just looks like King's Quest to me but everything is terrifying it, it, everyone's faces look like they're gonna steal yeah, my the soul eyes, man. so the that's eyes. cool yeah and then if you if you read into the guy um, I don't you know it's he's he's done work for Disney the NFL DreamWorks Pictures Lucasfilms Delta uh, Cambridge Cambridge Physics Outlet, some other stuff. Uh, so he's he's done some things, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. He looks like a baby boomer. Yeah, he's old. He's an old guy, which also makes it weird that he was just like, "It's 2017. I'm making this movie." Yeah. So I don't. He is a complete mystery to me. Much like his movie, I I do not understand him as a person. Um, but I'm glad he's out there doing his thing. I hope he's putting food on the table with his physics textbooks that he's designed. Uh, but yeah, man, I I mean, I, I just don't, I don't James, know. James, as a heads up, <laughs> you've misspelled Lucas films. That's probably a, that's probably not good. You know that? Uh, no, it's a, it's a different one. It's not the one you're thinking oh, of. Lucas films. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas films. They make uh, oil filters. That's it. Uh, I, no, I don't know. Uh, so that's uh, that's Mr. This Travers. Is, this I, is more mystifying by the moment. So you know what this tells me? Well, A, you're clearly like fucking a, a corporate artist. You're like a Cadman. You're doing a lot of Cad yeah, well that, work. That's why his his well, the whole movie looks like a Cad right. design. He probably made the movie in Cad. So when I look at his <laughs> illustrations, you know, all this stuff that is professional, uh, that's useful. It looks like he'd be a CAD expert. He's got models of cars and houses. I'm sure, great. Oh, hell yeah. I'd let this guy design a steering wheel for me any day of the week. Yeah, but then when you look at his paintings, you're like, okay, that's much like this movie. Must be a tremendous amount of effort, but it's also scary and weird and not very good. Uh, (laughs) But so so lean into what you do great, which is probably more industrial work, but... I I don't know. I don't know. That's not how he's selling himself, that's for sure. And that's great. But what this tells me that's most interesting is that 
unlike our our friend with his amazing bulk, I bet you this guy made all these fucking assets himself, which is madness. Yeah. No, he worked very hard on this. And I, I was trying to find some reviews of the movie just to see how other people, you know, interacted with this film, what their what their reception was. And it's uh, it's slim pickings. Uh, there's nothing on IMDb. There's no professional reviews from, you know, outlets. Uh, there's, there's a few things on Amazon. Uh, people are, people are really divided on this. It's divided. uh, 43% have given it five stars. 57% have given it one star. There's really no in between. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just, somebody said that, (laughs) quote, one, one star. Uh, the title of the review is, uh, to not waste your time, give it one star, and it doesn't deserve that. So that's not really a sentence, but sure. And the review says, uh, that was the biggest waste of time. Whoever did this should not ever do this again. <laughs> so that's that's good. Um, somebody else gave it a one-star review. It says, laughably bad. This falls under the, quote, daydreaming would have been a far better use of my time category. Sure. But then you get to the five stars, and uh, five stars, great mix of medium, creepy storyline. I love the animations of the Banshee. I love the combination of live actors and surreal animation. Myros, did you write that review? I, I did not, but I concur 100%. Well, I don't know about the animations of the Banshee. That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's Let's not push it here. The fucking Banshee. Come on. Um and then another review says, this is a fun, psychedelic mind ride reminiscent of early surrealist filmmakers. Serious students of filmmaking must watch and enjoy. Uh, so you heard it here first. If you have uh, studied the art of, uh, let's say, Max Ernst, uh, you've moved on, you're into surrealist filmmaking, you love uh, Unshin Andalou, you, you, you love the work of Man Ray, uh, maybe then you need to watch... Uh, the omnipotence of dreams. That's that's all I got. I, I don't Louis Bunuel uh, versus Mr. Travers. Who are you taking? Uh, I got more enjoyment out of this. I gotta say. Now, not not into the slicing of the old eyeballs. Well, it's, it's, I appreciate it, but it's not giving me a laugh a minute. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where we're at with this one. I. Uh, this one just, it, it dragged for me. Maybe I, I should have drank beforehand. I probably would have enjoyed it a little bit better. And this is probably one, too, where I should not have just sat in my living room at like 2 p.m. and watched it alone, <laughs> stone cold sober. That that may have been a big problem. Uh, but here we are. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess we're going we're gonna to we're gonna have to figure this one out. For me, it comes down to this. Uh, Omnipotence of Dreams has moments of just absolute what the fuckery where you're right. It was, it was funny and ridiculous and I can't believe that it was made, but here it is. So in my mind, it is a curiosity. It is not a complete atrocity. It sure is something. I fucking hated it, but it's something. Um, But it's just, it's, it just feels pretentious and bloated and it doesn't lean in to its, its best instincts what with very few instincts it has and also the director seems hell-bent on just dragging the movie out for as long as humanly possible it has some of the worst pacing i've ever experienced 
I, I can't I can't give it the edge here. For me, Bloodfark Lake was a uh, it was a more enjoyable movie. It was I mean it was a movie. It's it, <laughs> the, the the structure of it, it it moved along fine and yeah it sucked. But there's something genuine. There's something so sincere about Bloodfart Lake that even though it's not for me, and even though I mean it's it wasn't great or good or okay, it was just it was fine enough. It was completely fine enough. It does not deserve to be in the company of this movie. Omnipotent dreams far worse. So I I think. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give the point to me on this one. I'm patting myself on the back. Uh, not so fast. You see, I look at two movies here, and one of them is a bunch of jerk offs farting around uh, at a lake house, uh, not even writing a script. And and this one, the guy fucking composited thousands of assets for this movie. He fucking he he like invented some sort of philosopher poet and the works thereof to quote in the film and. Uh, I don't know. This thing is a work of passion. It is earnest. It does not to me read overly pretentious, but it is a fucking mess and uh, never ceased to amaze me at what the fuck was going to happen next. It, it just, this is, this is a special bad movie for me. I think it's absolutely a curiosity and, uh, just, just for the labor of Mr. Travers, uh, it it is the better film for me. I I don't think it's particularly close for me either. Usually, there's some giving the A for effort. Usually, there's some gamesmanship <laughs> when we're voting against each other. But in this case, we are honestly like we had very, we had very different reactions to these two films. So, I think it would be uh, well, hard pressed for us to come to a suitable conclusion here. I I can't. You know, I'll, I'll take a draw. I'll take a draw because I, I still think I'm, I'm up. I'm up in the overall. I believe you're rankings, still up right? one on okay, me I still at this stage. But who knows? We, as if we've kept it a good tally or done any. Of we our have jobs. not. No, this is we. Uh, we have been well, on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, you know, Steve got married. Uh, I have not nearly so good of an excuse. I went to Steve's wedding. That must be why I can't do my work. <laughs> Um, I, I I planned a wedding and got married. And you I, I, I was there, so that's my excuse for not being up on things. But we are, you know, going into December and the new year. We've got some exciting things to announce for Optimism Vaccine, and uh, the regularity with which you'll be enjoying this show will be uh, much better. <laughs> Unless uh, Jeff Bezos uh, continues to nuke all of our movie selections, in which case we're That's in trouble. That's true. Although there's so, always other sources, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll find it. We'll, it we're we're going to find a way. And that's the good thing about these weird little movies and the internet is they will always find a way to bubble up to the surface. And we will skim the surface like pond scum and just consume them because we hate ourselves. Uh, but yeah, so... Obviously, we've, we've come to a draw here. If, if you want to weigh in on this one, if you want to torture yourself and watch these two movies, uh, check them out. They're both streaming on Amazon Prime. And you can tell us your thoughts on them. You can tweet at us, at Optimism Vaccine. That's at Optimism Vaccine. You can tweet at me directly and tell me why The Omnipotence of Dreams is the greatest film <clears throat> of the 21st century. At Steve Cuff. That's at Steve, C-U-F-F. And, uh, yeah, you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Make sure if you're listening to this episode right now, if you enjoyed it, even if you just thought it was okay, you want to hear more, please, there is a link in the description of the podcast you are listening to right now. 
Uh, if you're on your phone, just tap that shit. If you are listening on your computer at work, click it. Uh, go to the, the iTunes rate and review page. Give us a five-star review and a written review. Uh, we need help. We need to get our review up or our review score up. We need our star rating up. We're, we're not at a, a perfect five. We're at like a four and some bullshit. So give us that good review. We need it. It'll take you literally like 10 seconds. Give us your 10 seconds because when you do that, it helps our discoverability. And uh, the easy we, the easier it is for people to discover us, the, the more work we can do for you. So helps out the show big time. Please take 10 seconds, rate and review the show. Thank you very much. And... For the next episode, normally what we've been doing is we've been saying, oh, we're going to do this movie and this movie, and it's going to be like this. But the problem is they keep nuking these movies that we're selecting, uh, which I believe that Jeff Bezos is, uh, he's, he's listening. He's listening. And he's got, his, he's got his finger on the red button, and every time we choose something, he nukes <laughs> it to try and make his distinguished Amazon Prime video service look better than it actually is. So we're not going to give Mr. Bezos the chance to nuke our next episode. Oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to give you the, the parameters for it. So the next episode, we've decided we're going to do another <laughs> what we call high-budget episodes <clears throat> wherein we choose movies that are a little bit, you know, not, not quite the amateur level that some of these are. So we've created a rule for the next episode where we have to choose a movie with a recognizable actor or actress in it. Or I guess maybe director, too. There has to be somebody where you're like, that's a person. And it doesn't have to be a big somebody. Uh, I think we said, who would we were talking about this earlier? We're like, Linnea Quigley. Yeah. So if you, if you go up to your average person, they're like, who? But she, people know who she is, especially if you're listening to this. But you know who Linnea Quigley is. Come on. You know who that is. So we're talking any known commodity <laughs> counts as a it's like, as So acceptable. tune in next time to see which Joe Estevez film I picked. <laughs> How did you know what I picked for my movie? <laughs> I, I will say that's my teaser. I have chosen a Joe Estevez. Oh movie. damn! Now I'm really screwed. Uh, we we're gonna have to crank it up. I feel like both of these movies had merit, and that's just not acceptable. <laughs> no, what are we doing? It's horrible. I yeah, I don't want to die as much as I should right now. Um, and hey, May Myros, maybe you should you should edit the uh, the suicide clip from Omnipotence of Dreams and. Upload it to YouTube as greatest scene in the history of film and see if we uh, we get any hits I'll, on it. I'll do that. It'll be the first content we put on the OpVac YouTube page in like five years. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. It'll be good. That's that's our comeback right there. All right, guys. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Make sure you rate and review the episode, and uh, we will be back with some uh, high-budget Joe Estevez hijinks. <laughs>